and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? Oh, pretty well. Um, trying to think what's going on uh, in the world right now. Uh, busy times in my job, but uh, I don't know. I, I, I literally don't know how I'm doing other than the fact that you and I just talked for 45 minutes about how I'm doing. That's true, yes. <laughs> and then got into some heavy shit and now I have to be like podcast mode. Yeah, like, yeah bubbly and upbeat like like i usually am on the podcast of course bubbly and upbeat um okay how are you you? i'm doing all right um i've got some david i got stories to tell okay all right uh but before i get to that i want to say this at the top because i assume people turn us off at the end um just because you do when you listen to podcasts, as soon as they start giving the plugs, you turn them off, right? Unless it's unless it's uh, Schmidt's podcast, because then there's like a half hour left. Through. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, okay. So I want to let everybody know um, if you're in the area of Morgantown, West Virginia, which admittedly you're not, uh, but if you find yourself near there, uh, it's apparently like a 45 minute drive from uh, Pittsburgh. So oh, that's not bad at all. Yeah, that's not it's not terrible. Pe- people live in Pittsburgh, I've come to understand, right? Yeah, have you know, like uh I'm already getting you off topic. Yeah. But like it seems like distance in miles is sometimes more important than time traveled. You know what I mean? Like Okay. Uh Are you talking for yourself? I I I feel like no, I feel like for people in general. Like Okay. It takes me longer to get to work than it would take to get to, like, the uh, town where my fiancé grew up. Okay. But my work feels closer because it is closer oh, yeah. miles-wise. Yeah. But it's a much longer drive because the traffic's bad. Hmm. And so I went, like, this, people, you know, uh, Morgantown, West Virginia, like, how many people do you think, how often do those people go out for uh, you know, the people who live in Morgantown, how often do you think they go to Pittsburgh? There probably are some who go to Pittsburgh regularly. I, I don't doubt it, yes. But there are probably some to whom that's another world. Oh, yeah. I mean... I find that really fascinating. When I grew up in Taft... Taft, Baker, California. Taft, California. Bakersfield was the big city, and it was like a 40-minute drive away. And that's you're driving to another city in between Taft and Bakersfield is nothing. It's desert. It feels like when you're driving there, it feels like this is a, this is like a journey that I'm on, but it it really isn't, you know? Yeah. Um, and then when I, meanwhile, it would take you that long to get to Culver city from here. Oh, no question. Sometimes depending on traffic, it takes me that long to get to like studio city. (laughs) I drove right. to. I, People don't know where we are in Los Angeles, but yeah. Studio City is considerably closer miles wise than Culver City. Yes, yes. but it can still oh. take forty minutes. Yeah, there's no reason for me to go to Culver City, so I don't. Um, I did go to the ArcLight today, and it took forty five minutes to get there. Um, the real ArcLight. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and now Culver City is not. You can't just write it off. I like Culver City. It's a nice place. Nah. Uh, I used to work there, so I, you know, spent a lot of time there, socialized there, like the. Uh, the backstage bar that's right across the street from uh, Sony Pictures Studios. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a fun bar. Uh, All right. They got a buffalo chicken sandwich. It'll, not, it'll knock your socks off. It will, as my dad used to say, it'll make your tongue slap your brains out. <laughs> and something tasted really good. That was what my dad said. Mm-mm-mm. Make your tongue slap your brains out. That's what he'd say. Uh, we're not going to do this right now, but if we were to play a game where I were to name a neighborhood okay. in Los Angeles, okay. you could tell me the best bar to go to. 
I don't know that that's true. I could tell okay. you a bar to go to. Okay. But I don't go like. It's not that I go to bars. I do. I do go to bars less than I did. Maybe like when we started the podcast seven years ago, seven years and one week ago, mm-hmm. um, three hundred sixty-five uh, weeks ago. Um, I, I so I probably I probably do go to bars less, but not that much less. But what I do is I think now I'm at a point in my thirties where I have my bars that I go to. <laughs> nice. And so there are there are only really a handful of bars that I yeah. frequent regularly. And you walk in and everyone's like David. Yeah. Or they probably say uh, Dave. No, they don't say either thing. Um, there is one. There, uh, there is one bartender who knows my drink, which I find that's. Uh, I find that very pretty very nice. sweet. Uh, but um, at my local Denny's, Sophie, my waitress, uh, she always knows what I want. I want <laughs> coffee and a water. Order of uh, pancake puppies with cream cheese icing on the side. Thank you. I used to. Um, so anyway, what I'm saying is. I wouldn't feel comfortable. Like, if you named a neighborhood, I could tell you what bar I have been to there. Okay. But uh, I there were probably people who were listening who were like, that bar is so five years ago. Ah, yes. No one goes to the HMS Bounty anymore, is what they would say. <laughs> That's in Koreatown. That's where I used to go. I don't like that at all. I uh, know. It's an awesome bar. Or at least it was five years ago. Um, anyway. Uh, so far. People knowing okay. our orders, though. There was when I worked in Burbank, um, I used to go to the sandwich place a lot. And I did not get the same thing every time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the woman who worked there insisted that I did. And every time I'd walk up, she'd be like, let me guess. And she'd always say something different, too. <laughs> she'd, she'd be like, tuna sandwich, extra, extra pickles? <laughs> like, no, I'll have whatever I was going to have that day. It was that she was just trying too hard to make it happen. I kind of love that waitress. I kind of <laughs> love, I think that she was purposely saying something different every time as a way of screwing with you. Um Maybe she had just seen Memento or something. Right. Uh, okay. So, so far, all that came from Pittsburgh <laughs> is near Morgantown, West Virginia. I didn't right. even say what is in Morgantown. Let's talk about Morgantown. Uh, so, okay. March. <laughs> what do you got? Did you hear about the Morgantown? <laughs> right. That's a movie, right? Did you hear about the Morgans? We'll get you next time. With uh, Hugh Grant and SJP. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. That is correct. Yes, you sure do. All right. Okay. Morgantown. Tell us about Morgantown. March 21st through the 23rd is the Mountaineer Film Festival. Uh, And on the 22nd, uh, I don't specifically know what time, but it's looking like it's going to be mid-afternoon. It hasn't been finalized yet. Uh, March 22nd, you can see the Changing Perspectives to Faith and Spirituality in Modern Cinema panel. Uh, That is... Changing Perspectives to Faith and Spirituality in Modern Cinema. Uh, It is a panel that will be uh, moderated by one of our writers, Patrick Felton, and it will feature, among others, me. I will be there to talk about stuff, which is ridiculous. Uh, That's fantastic. I think it's very exciting. I am very excited. I'm a little Um, bit jealous. Yeah. yeah, uh, Patrick, I'm sure you're listening to this, so I apologize if this sounds insulting. Um, yes, I'm very flattered. No question about it. I am going to Morgantown, West Virginia. I would have a blast. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure I will, too. I was uh, very ex- Well, I'm excited to bring my book that I haven't been able to crack open in, like, yeah. a couple months and just sit in my hotel and read. Oh, <laughs> but no, I realize that's, I would, that's probably not the best attitude. Yeah, I would meet people. I would learn about the nightlife of Morgantown. I would have I would have a blast. 
people bring me to your film festival. I will be on a panel. I will be a judge. Yeah. You, you fly me out. You put me up. That's fine. I can do it. They should do it with both of us. And I will be. And just give us our own panel. It's called the Battleship Pretension yeah. Panel. Yes. And just know, unlike, I don't know, say Jeffrey Wells, I will be all in. If you invite me to be on a panel, I will go above and beyond. I will not, you know, take your flight and room and board and not show up for the panel. Hmm. Is that a thing that he did? Yeah. Well, also, unlike. The, the, I like, I, I, you and I, as we were talking about off mic, we are, uh, I, I guess, amateur verging on semi-professional sure. film critics. Yeah. We do make some money from this. Yes. I mean, most of it goes back into the thing. We have jobs otherwise, but we're not, this is more than a hobby for us. Right. Um, but I, I still like feel a little weird about saying as a critic or like consider myself part of the community of critics, but still I do. I don't like to call out. There are critics in conversation with you when the mics, when the, when the tape isn't rolling. Yeah. I will be very candid about which critics I uh, despise, but um, on the podcast, I generally avoid expressing any opinions about specific critics. Yeah. Uh, or, or other film writers. Um, Jeffrey Will Wells, whatever he can be considered, I don't do that guy can go jump in a lake. Yeah, he's the worst. Um yeah, yeah I have no problem speaking out against <laughs> that horrible, horrible man. Um I've read his stuff. I, I don't know like you said, I don't even know what I consider him. I don't know and it sounds shitty for for us to because who the hell are we? <laughs> well, hang on a second. We're people who take film seriously. We have in, in and ourselves, we have integrity. I guess there's that too. Respect. I have a certain degree of that. Not very much, but I, I take movies seriously and I think that it's a real art form. I think he sees it. You know what? I, I almost, I'm inclined to, uh, I'll quote the Dean from ghostbusters. He seems to view movies as some sort of Dodge, uh, like some kind of tax shelter somehow. Um, but, uh, like he very easily could have found another thing to be writing about. Is what exactly. Yeah. yeah. Just, uh, he saw, he saw like, Oh, there's a bit of a gap here for like a, a caddy quote unquote film critic. I got it. I got it. Um, but anyway, so, uh, so yeah, uh, come on out to the, uh, Mountaineer film festival. It's uh, short films and animation and, uh, and you can come see this panel and you can talk to me afterwards. And if you, uh, if you provide a, a, a good case, then maybe I won't go back to my hotel room and just read my book. And maybe we can go out to probably a Denny's or something. So the nightlife nightlife for me means a very different thing than for well, you. Wouldn't you want to go to like a local diner, like a family owned? Yes, like, that's fine. Diner, a bar I'm out, but a di- right. diners. But get some of the, some of the local culture. Oh, I, no question about it. Like yeah. when we, okay. when we live in Chicago, we always, we always like to go to uh, local, like, Hot dog places and then that Euro one place. Places. Euro places. I, don't, I think that place officially had a name. I don't think it was ever shown anywhere. Oh, no. It ha- the, the place on... Um, what, what street? Was that on... Was that on Broadway? I want to say it was on Broadway. Okay. Because um, we, pa- we passed... Uh, we crossed Halstead to get there. Yeah, yeah. It was past Halstead. So I think it was Broadway. And I want to say that it was called... TK fast food or TNK fast foods or something like I that. I seem to recall it was like two letters with an ampersand there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, this I guess awesome. that, that's what it was. It was some of the best, uh, chicken strips I had in the city in euros. There was a period when I moved to Chicago, people who don't know Chicago, maybe don't know a it's, um, it, you know, you haven't had a hot dog until you've had a hot dog in Chicago, but also you, uh, like might, might not really get, what euros are as like street food you mm-hmm. can get them elsewhere but and you can get them you know you can get euro a euro plate at a lot of 
places, but the idea of just like the greasy little pita pocket filled with with meat wrapped in foil that you take and eat in your mm-hmm. in your hand uh, as a thing, I, I think when I moved to Chicago and discovered those, there was about six months of my life where the only thing I was ever hungry for was euros. Like I didn't get hungry. I got hungry for euros. That's yeah. all I wanted to eat because they're so amazing. And I have not since moving to Los Angeles, I have ordered euros at places. They're not, of course, not the same. Of course. But here's the other thing. I am not one of those people who's going to walk around saying no one knows how to make a good euro here. Yeah. Because that's Chicago's thing. Yeah. Now I'm in Los Angeles. I eat tacos and I, and I don't complain. That's a, you know, people, there, the number of people who moved to Los Angeles specifically for the purpose of bitching about it, apparently, uh, yes. uh, drives me insane. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone, cause everyone comes here for whatever reason because of industry or, or, or whatever. And then they just like lament their pizza or their bagels or their, whatever they are, or whatever pizza it is. bagels. Yeah. Whatever it is that they left back cheese curds. I don't know. Whatever they left back home, uh, boiled peanuts um uh but you're in a place that has its own culture when you go home to visit in georgia you can have or 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 the carolinas you can have your boiled peanuts Mm -hmm. while you're here eat tacos and shut the fuck up well and i could also say um people like oh los angeles doesn't know this and that it doesn't have this and it's like well you know what the other place apparently doesn't have uh opportunities (laughs) that's why you're here what is more important yeah your little food or artistic success you know throwing that out there there's plenty of good food here sure why not um do you remember by the way okay i'm sorry i know we need to move on i'm sorry everybody is there uh, more about the morgan t- the mountaineer film festival no that's done instead the i want again of the film festival 21 march 21st mm-hmm. through 23rd so it's coming up so just after the spring equinox um and then your your panel is on the 22nd that's right yes it's on a saturday. saturday yeah so if you if you look up uh to my knowledge i don't think they have the schedule posted yet although by the time this episode goes up it might be there so if you if you google mountaineer film festival you can find out more about it uh and where it is located and where to go and all that sort of thing so uh but i will say that euro place that you and i would go and get to chicken strips um that was a weekly thing every i believe thursday oh i thought it was monday maybe you're right i believe it was every thursday because the theory at the time was that we would go get that, come back. And then for like three weeks we watched survivor. Uh, and then we just stopped watching survivor survivor and watched other things. But, uh, but in retrospect, isn't that kind of adorable that you and I, not a couple had our, our date night. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of the best. And now peek behind the curtain. We still meet together every Thursday night. We sure do. We sure do. I don't Um, have that with, uh, I've had that with like certain like weekly rituals with other friends, but I don't have that now. I have rituals with my fiance. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I'm, my friend, uh, you, you know, friend of the show, Frank. Feel my wrath, McGrath. Yeah. Um, when we first moved, before you lived here in Los Angeles, Frank and I moved here almost exactly the same time. I think it was like two weeks after I did, if even that. And so we didn't really know a lot of people, uh, but we had we were working. But we didn't have much to do, and my then-girlfriend worked Saturdays during the day. Mm-hmm. So Frank would come over with, like, beer every Saturday, and we watch movies during the day. Uh, that was a thing. That doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. Uh, I don't have any other... You you have plenty of weekly rituals. Yeah, yeah. You have a Saturday movie night. I don't know why I've never been invited. <laughs> 
For those that might be new to the show, uh, I will explain. David has been invited many, many times and has basically... I essentially have a standing invitation. Yeah. Um, But always... It's weird. Like, even Saturdays where we don't go out of our way to invite him, he'll still text back, fuck you. (laughs) Right. Which is weird, I think. (laughs) I have you guys all set as a group (laughs) in my contacts. All right. Um, Let's stop fucking around. You wanted to tell a story. Yeah, uh, just a real quick story. Uh, It's about our favorite topic, Brian Fuller's Hannibal. Yeah. I wanted to follow up on last week Uh uh, because we we ended with a surprisingly long uh, discussion of of Hannibal, and it's a really wonderful show. Uh, The other day, I watched the second episode. Now, uh, a little bit of backstory. Uh, Listeners know that I live in a relatively new house. I mean – the house isn't new, but it's new to us. Sure, sure. Uh, but we've been living here probably about a year at this point. And, um, yeah. and we have a guest room. And we decided we were going to try and make a little bit extra money. Uh, so we decided to go on Airbnb, uh, mm-hmm. where you can, like, re- you know, rent out uh, guest rooms or guest houses or whatever. Uh, and so it's been fairly su- successful over the last week. Um, and then I believe it was Friday night or – no, Saturday night. Uh, so far, it's been couples, but Saturday Saturday night it was a guy by himself, mm-hmm. mid fifties, mm-hmm. who's in town for one day. Like all told, he was going to be staying with us a total of seven hours. He was leaving it. He got it in eleven, left at six a.m. Huh. Um, so I was working uh, at about two or three a.m. and then I was like, "Oh shoot, the new Hannibal's out." I'm going to watch that. So I watched it and, and you haven't seen it. So I won't go into yeah, the spoilers, but episode, yeah. uh, suffice to say Hannibal is about usually middle-aged men killing people in the most <laughs> grisly fashion possible. <laughs> and so, so I watched it and of course it was w- great. I loved it. Um, and the, uh, <laughs> and then it was, it came time to go to bed. It was about three or 4am. And so I go into bed and I, uh, and I went to, uh, and I shut the door and then I, I laid down and I thought, and, and you know, this is the nature of Hannibal. Like it, it gets in your head. Yeah, it sure does. Uh, and I just thought there's literally nothing stopping this stranger mm-hmm. from coming in here and just killing us. So I was like, huh? All right. So I got up and locked the door, uh, to our bedroom. Uh, but then I had inadvertently locked our cat in and so, um, so he was just scratching at the carpet and we don't want that. So I, so then I opened the door, let him out, shut it, locked it again. He said, you're on your own, buddy. <laughs> yeah. And then he started scratching the other way. So I'm like, you know what? Screw it. <laughs> Rather than deal with my cat clawing up the carpet, you know, uh, you take risks in this yeah. life and I, I will risk this guy killing me. So it means I don't have to keep getting up and letting the cat in and out. But also so, yeah. that ends well, you're both, all three of you. Yourself, wife, cat, yes. un- unkilled, unmurdered. Unmurdered, to my knowledge. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that that's to speak. I just wanted to speak to the uh, the emotional and psychological potency of Hannibal, where in the right circumstance, you're like, wait a second. Like, I recognize Hannibal kind of is a little pulpy and plays things up. But there are actual psychopaths out there that have uh-huh. done stuff yeah. like this. So, you know what? <laughs> Better safe than sorry. Yeah. I even I even toyed with the idea of uh, bringing a giant uh, uh, kitchen knife oh. and setting it on my nightstand. But then I was like, that just gives him something to kill me with. Like, right. Also, know. it increases the chances of you accidentally stabbing your wife or cat. 
That's true. Yes. Is that how that works? I just, you have a nightmare or some, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Things go wrong. <laughs> when I have a nightmare, the first thing I do when I wake up is just re- just grapple for uh, for a weapon and be like, <laughs> where, where, all, those spiders, they got me. Where, how can I fight back? Oh, thank God. <laughs> And this, this, this woman, this thing next to me looks like my wife, but you're not tricking me spider. And then I just stab her several times. Yeah. That's and how you, it works. And you know what? The court would understand. Cause like, Hey, spiders, I get it. Yeah. Smash cut to opening credits. <laughs> All right. Um, we'll get back to, uh, TV actually in a second, mm-hmm. but, um, first I need, I need all you listeners to, uh, cozy up to your tweaked audio, cozy your ear canals up to the tweakedaudio.com earbuds that you no doubt have purchased. And if you haven't, uh, I'll save you some embarrassment. Here's how you do it. You go to tweakedaudio.com slash pretension. That's where you get Tweaked Audio's professional quality earbuds in a variety of styles and colors at a low, low price. Slash pretension gets you all that one third off and you don't have to pay any shipping charges. We stand by their product. You should stand by their product and then put it, you know, in your head. Uh, you yeah. should get really close. What I'm trying to, I'm trying to talk about proximity to the product. You know, it's such a good product that I'm willing to put it inches from my brain. Yeah, like inside myself. That's pretty rare. Yeah, like I, I take my tweaked audio earbuds and I put it yeah. as close to my brain as I can yeah. get it because I love it so much. Yeah, how many things do you love so much that you'll put them inside you? Uh, that's there's not much. There's not much. Yeah. Although, you know, what, admittedly more than you'd expect. All right. <laughs> so, yeah, as David said, listen up. All right. Yeah. Now Tyler's going to tell us about boobies. <laughs> David, don't be crass. I'm not here to talk about boobies. I'm here to talk about zomboobies, oh. exclamation point. Um, yes. Oh, you're you're forgiven. And uh, so here and we some. go. <clears throat> Moza, and then some. Get ready for this. Uh, so, yeah. So we are in week three of... Uh, is it week three? Yeah, yeah. Uh, week yeah. three of the uh, Zomboobies Kickstarter. So I will uh, read this to you, and I will. I hope I do it justice as far as my energy level. The Zomboobies Kickstarter is off and running. It's been a solid start, but they've still got a long way to go. For those that don't know, Zomboobies is a boobs-to-the-wall horror comedy. It combines a love for insane Japanese horror movies with traditional creature effects, modern digital effects, Comedy, action, drama, gore, and of course, David, you take yes. it. No, I'm not going to say. Boobies. Yeah. Uh, to see exactly how batshit crazy Zomboobies is, check out the new trailer on their Kickstarter page. <clears throat> and I will say, when you watch that trailer, you will understand exactly what we are dealing with. <laughs> Which is, yeah, I mean... I, I say that in the best possible way, but Yeah, like, like, if you're skeptical right now because you're maybe like me and that word turns you off or whatever, yeah. uh, know that they know... these. These guys know what they're doing. Uh, then the trailer will give you the right impression. It's it's a rare thing f- to know to be able to see, like, a, a filmmaker's enjoyment of making a film uh, as palpably as you see it uh, in the trailer with uh, Zombies. Okay, uh, sorry. Anyway, so to get back on track. Um, <clears throat> Uh, as for rewards, there are tons of them. T-shirts, posters. You can even get killed in the movie by a Zombooby and much, much more. So reach out, my fellow horror zombie booby lovers, and give Zombies a squeeze. 
I like to I like to drop that one down. Uh, just click on the banner ad, the banner ad at uh, battleshippretension.com to help out. So check that out and enjoy. Okay, so let's get into it, shall we? We said we were going to talk about television. Uh, now you haven't watched HBO's True Detective. I've not. Yet. No, um, which is a television show, but mm-hmm. unlike a lot of television shows, it's a standalone, mm-hmm. uh, you know, miniseries style. Yeah, and every episode has the same writer and same director. Okay. So that's similar to movies in a lot of ways. So I feel comfortable. It's still clearly written to be in eight parts. You know, it's not like, it's not a movie they've cut up into eight hours. Yeah. It's clearly written as episodes, but still I feel comfortable bringing it up on a movie podcast because it's a film director, Kerry Fukunaga, um, who I think was his last thing. Jane Eyre, I think. I think the last so. Film he made, which was good. It's a good movie. Uh, Anyway, True Detective came to an end last week, mm-hmm. um, and I uh, I loved it. I thought it, I thought it was fantastic. Uh, there's been a number of people online a little bit disappointed in it in the ending, as often happens with television finales. And, and these were largely the same people. Now I'm um, uh, I my one of my favorite websites that I mention all the time on here is Pajiba.com. They've written extensively about this. Um, as even the onion did a, the, not the AV club, but the onion itself did a little story. I don't know if you remember, uh, before the finale aired, the story was something along the lines of, uh, um, true detective fan, uh, develops elaborate theory that he will be disappointed by ending <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the people, but that's, that gets to the heart of what I'm talking about. A lot of the people, um, <clears throat> who are unsatisfied by it are the same people who spent the last eight weeks coming up with theories, picking up on the little references, the literary references or right. the, or the, you know, the, the occult, the mythology, the conspiracy, all these things that were going, that were hinted at in, 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 in the, in the show and spent a lot of their energy developing these theories. And I'll admit, because I am kind of a, uh, misanthrope, um, and I can be kind of smug because I spent eight weeks rolling my eyes at these people in a lot of way, ways. I enjoyed the finale on two levels. I enjoyed it because it was good and I enjoyed it because while watching it and seeing how sort of straightforward it was mm-hmm. that it wasn't getting into all this myth and conspiracy stuff, I was partially enjoying how much I knew other people were going to be disappointed by it. <laughs> um, and that gets what I want to talk about is the idea that there, and again, I didn't mean when I came up with this topic to be biting Pajiba's uh, style or whatever, but they wrote specifically about, about this. But I want to talk about the idea about there being a correct or incorrect way to enjoy art, okay. uh, particularly film and television. Cause that's what we talk about here on this podcast. Right. Uh, because as much as I feel like I, I feel like at the end of eight episodes of true detective, uh, the way that I was enjoying it, made it a more satisfying experience for me. Mm-hmm. But does that mean that the people who spent eight weeks uh, theorizing about it were enjoying it wrong? And I don't think so. As much as I joke about like taking pleasure in their disappointment, I don't think they were at all. I think they, they had a lot of fun uh, with it. Yeah, they, they enjoyed it. One could make the argument that they enjoyed it on a level that you didn't. It, Not they, to say a deeper level, no, it, just a different one. But they might have enjoyed it more than I did while it was airing. Sure. But the 
trade-off there is that they're less satisfied by the end of it. Yeah. I don't think that's necessarily, I don't think that's a good or bad thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is something, and, and we've, I think we've probably touched on this sort of thing, uh, in our 365 episodes. Um, one a day for a year. That's right. Oh yeah. That's the thing I wanted to put out there, but I, hashtag now I don't a year of BP. I want everyone to tweet about this episode. Yeah. And hashtag, should it be a year of BP? Yeah. Okay. Hashtag a year of BP. Yeah. And then, uh, tell your friends to, well, first off, uh, purchase the first 40 episodes for $10. Yeah. It's uh, only $10. It's only 10 bucks. It's fine. And it'll help um, us. We're going to WonderCon. We're going to Comic-Con. Indeed. We could use a little bit, uh, more. Yeah. We, we got to keep the lights on. Indeed. Yes. And you know what, David, that lamp has been, been without a light bulb for a while. Huh. Uh, you'd think I would remember to get it. I don't. Uh, but maybe, if, maybe it's that we're just missing that one donation. Exactly. You. Exactly. Cause I'm tired of, uh, being so, uh, so film noir in here. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah. So, uh, get the first 40 episodes and then listen to one episode of battleship retention a day. That would be fascinating. If anybody does that, mm-hmm. man, uh, you're, start, you're a better person than I no, start a Tumblr. Yeah, a Tumblr, a year of com, and then do like a little, a little one paragraph uh, recap of each episode. That would be fantastic. That would be fantastic. That would make me feel very good about myself. I know, I know. <laughs> finally, finally, this would all be worthwhile. Um, okay, so yeah, I'm sure we've talked about this this kind of thing before, and it and it brings up. Um, it's kind of an offshoot of, of uh, a conversation that I don't know if we've ever officially had on the show, but I've talked about with uh, other friends, which is, is there such a thing as a bad movie? Uh, but that's not the conversation we're having, but it's, it's similar, which is, is there something that is more legit? If you approach a movie as what is the filmmaker trying to say, is that more legit than just, a, just watching a movie for entertainment purposes, mm-hmm. you know, younger me and pr- you know what? Not even younger me. I would probably say if you watch something purely for entertainment and only that first off, you're going to be very disappointed in a number of films, but also, uh, I feel like you're not getting the full experience. You're only hurting yourself. You're only hurting yourself. But at the same time, what the hell do I know? Like there are people who watch movies for pure enjoyment that might, as you say, they might enjoy a movie infinitely more than I do by, by giving myself one could say work. Mm-hmm. Um, and like really just, you know, as I've heard, uh, many times when I was younger, uh, from other high schoolers and stuff. And, um, you know, isn't life hard enough? Like with a job <laughs> and with various obligations, do you really have to make more work for you, uh, for yourself? And, um, now, obviously, I know where I stand on that kind of thing, but, but yeah, it's, I don't know. I'm inclined to say that I do think that art being art and it being somebody who's trying to express something, I do feel like it is a bit more legitimate to trying to figure out what they are expressing. To me, I can't not do it at this point. You know, I can't, uh, I'll go with the master, a movie like the master. If you, I feel like if you were to just sit down and just watch the movie uh-huh. and, and that's it for, 
as we, passively as possible. As passively as possible. Part of me feels and like I don't think it is entirely possible to be passive. I, I also, yeah, I also don't. But um, just I feel like it's not about you won't get the movie because you can think about it all you want. And you still won't get it. I don't know if it's possible mm-hmm. to get a movie like that. But, um, but like it's that to me sounds like the height of frustration. Like I've been thinking about it for a year. Uh-huh. Uh, there have been times when I've wanted to do a more than one lesson episode about it, but I don't because I'm like, surely, surely I can't, uh, <laughs> I can't, even if I give myself two hours as I have with some episodes, uh, I'll only be scratching the surface. Who am I? How arrogant am I to think I can talk about this movie? In it any should way? be an episode that you record a bit of at a time as you think of new things and then never release. And then when you die, they find it like, like John Doe's notebooks in, in seven, just like a 35 hour long episode of just you trying to either that to terms or, with the master, either that or like 17 minutes. Cause <laughs> as it turns out, I'm just, I'm not really breaking any new ground. Yeah, um, what if you actually did sit down and start talking about it? You'd be like, Oh, that's it. I'm done. I figured it out. Yeah. All right. Good job, everyone. But I still, but I just forget to tell anybody about it. I find that my coworkers get annoyed with me because uh, I don't. I I imagine they get annoyed with me because I'm self conscious like that. But I have a tendency to, I'll come up against a problem at work, mm-hmm. and I'll I won't be able to think of the solution. And as soon as I start saying it out, saying out loud what the problem is to one of my coworkers, like, "Hey, what would you do in this situation?" Blah blah. blah. I'll get halfway through and I'll be like, "Oh, right." It, saying stuff out loud really helps me. Yeah. That's why I, that's why we started a podcast. Oh, absolutely. I've learned a lot about myself in movies just by talking about them. Oh, yeah. And there's, yeah, there's nothing more exciting. Well, okay. All right. I was just about to say there's nothing more exciting than listening to us talk about movies. Well, uh, then thinking and talking and trying to interpret and bouncing ideas off of other people in regards to art and what, what something might mean. And that's the thing. I really do think that is that is it. I think that is the right way to watch <laughs> movies. But is that elitist of me? But it's it's the right way for you. Is okay. Because well, speaking of elitist, I'll go back. To, I'll bring up a story from years ago when I was at my old job uh, that I had told on the podcast and got some. I've got some comments either on the website or on the message oh. board. Remember the message board? Yeah, I remember the um, old days. What's that? I remember the old days. Yeah. Um, Could probably start that up again, actually. I think no we have enough uses list- message boards anymore, though. Oh, is that true? <laughs> no, I, I think some people do. All right. I think a uh, friend of the show, Ian Brill's theory is that Twitter has largely replaced message boards. So Between that and, like, post comments and stuff, right, right. I feel, yeah, you're right. Um, anyway, what I'm, what, what I, I told a story about my old job that got me some comments calling me, that, calling me a, a jerk, essentially, uh, arrogant or whatever. I know exactly the story you're going to tell, I bet. Because my coworker was talking about the movie The American, directed by Anton Corbin, um, who, uh, whose newest film is called The Most Wanted Man, uh, <laughs> starring the late Philip Seymour Hoffman. Anyway, uh, I should say Hoffman. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, and now... now the, the, for this version of the story, it's not important to note that I hadn't actually even seen the movie yet, but that's why I got called arrogant. Um, but that's not the point of this story. This story is that she was talking about, she was like, I saw that new George Clooney movie. Mm-hmm. It was stupid. <laughs> that was pretty much the entirety of her argument. Okay. And I got really frustrated at the time because I, in retrospect, I felt like she wasn't watching it right. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and that because I 
have taken on some sort of mantle of expertise because I've put in a certain number of hours. I've put in more than the uh, Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours of watching movies. Yeah. I went to film school. I have a degree and all that stuff. I felt like I was more qualified at the time to, even though I hadn't seen the movie yet, yeah. to know that I, I knew enough to know that she was wrong and there was more to the movie and it wasn't stupid. Now, it turned out that I did end up feeling that way when I saw the movie. It ended up being on my top 10 of that year. I think it's a great movie. Uh, but I would like to go back and talk some sense into the me from a few years ago and say, like, that's, that's her truth. There's like, there's, it's, it's art. All the schooling in the world can't make you a definitive expert on art because there is no objective truth about the quality of art. Mm -hmm. And so if she thinks the new George Clooney movie is stupid, then in her reality, she's right, and there's nothing wrong with that. But let me ask you, okay, so I see what you mean, and I think I probably agree with you to a, a certain extent. Uh, but for the sake of uh, filling out a, a full episode, I will, <laughs> I, I will, uh, I will ask this. Um, you know, what if somebody goes in, what if she went into the new George Clooney movie expecting leatherheads? Uh-huh. Like, th just, that is, I think, putting so much on the movie that the movie is never, was never, ever meant to be that, ever. Like, no. I think at that point you are watching it wrong. This is what I'm talking about with True Detective. Okay. Is that I feel like my approach ended up in the long run uh, helps me be more satisfied with the show. Absolutely. At the end. Yeah. But I... I guess my hesitation is whether or not to say that it's that that makes it correct because again you get to you get down to the fact that this is art and you can't uh you know I remember um I think it was uh President Clinton who had that line about trying to censor the internet mm -hmm. he's trying to like nail jello to the wall and that's kind that's of a how good line yeah that's uh that's that's how it is if you try to, if you try to come down and say there's a, uh, a an objective way to qualify a work of art you, you, it's a losing game you're never going to be able to do it because it is ultimately subjective and so the it, the fact that I enjoy enjoyed the american more than my former coworker did uh it definitely means that I approached it in the right way for me, but I don't know that if she had approached me with an open mind, A, I don't know that she didn't. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that if she didn't, that her having done so would have made her enjoy it anymore. Right. There are plenty if of people. If you go to that, that and parse that sentence, it made sense, I swear. I gotcha. I gotcha. <laughs> yeah. There are plenty of people that, that, uh, were probably more inclined to like that movie that didn't. It was not like a, a beloved film at the time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, and I guess that's that's. Uh, it I think, sounds. Um, I think J.R. Jones hated it of the uh, mm. Chicago Reader. I'm a big fan of that guy. I, I think I like him too, actually. Um, yeah, I don't. That's the thing is, I don't want to be. I don't want to be seen as like the asshole here, who and and I'm trying to think of like. Are we t we're talking only about art here, right? I guess so. Yeah. I mean, for uh, for example, I'm okay. remember I'm reminded of an old episode of Politically Incorrect, so that should tell you how old it is. Um, 
at least 2001. That's the most recent it could have been. <laughs> uh, and I remember there was an exchange between Bill Maher and actor Wayne Knight. Sure. Uh, in which they were talking about voting. And Bill Maher said that some people just shouldn't, in true Bill Maher fashion, by the way, I, I, I would venture to say I don't like Bill Maher, but, uh, but he said that like some people like just shouldn't be allowed to vote. Now, of course, he's being facetious when he says that. Uh, but it was based on this idea that everybody has a different idea of what makes for a good president or a good senator or whatever. Um, some, you know, it could be this person has 20 years of foreign policy experience or it could be this seems like the kind of guy I could have a beer with. Mm-hmm. Like is and then and so Bill Maher just said, like, one of those is not as good as as the other. And then Wayne Knight said, he he goes, oh, and he was also being a little facetious. He's like, he goes, oh, Bill, you you uh, elitist SOB. Uh Uh, And so and I remember that stuck in my mind, partially because I was a big Wayne Knight fan at the time. And I'd say I still I still am. Um, But uh, but yeah, like. It's one of those things like if you part of me wonders if you approach movies, you know, something that. Movies don't. Uh, never mind. Go ahead. Something that I've become fascinated by in the last few years is the idea of audience expectation and the role that that plays uh, when we go see movies. I'm not saying you should leave your expectations at the door. You can't. You can't help but have an expectation, sure. whether it be of the actor, the director, the genre, whatever. Um, but like, if you go in, I think I think there's an argument to be made for the slightly more informed. Well, hang on now. Sorry, I want to. <laughs> I'm split now. I'm totally split. Okay. There's an argument to be made for the more informed uh, approach, which is to say, like for example, Anton Corbin, as opposed to George Clooney. Mm-hmm. Like if somebody says, "Oh, that's a George Clooney movie." They right. might approach it as one George, fine day, <laughs> one fine day. Right. They may not know the Syriana George Clooney. They yeah. may not know. No, they the, may not know noted photographer turned filmmaker Anton Corbin, who made Control, the right. black and white movie about the guy from Joy Division. Yeah. But if you but that's the thing, if you know Anton Corbin, you're you're probably more likely to enjoy the American as opposed to knowing it about its star. Or at least what you think, uh, what you think you know about it, star. Right. And so, like, you're more informed. You are more informed than your coworker. And so, and it's worth noting that by being more informed, you were able to manage your expectations a little bit better, mm-hmm. and you enjoyed the film more. So that's that's one thing. But then the other argument that you and I talk about a lot is going in with as as open a mind as possible. Yeah. Like. And I don't know if I ever, I don't know when the last time was I actually watched a movie that I literally knew nothing about. Europa Report. That's the one. (laughs) I didn't know. That wasn't that long ago. Yeah, that wasn't that long ago. But like it's, it doesn't happen very frequently. I do, with press screenings, I do that a lot. I look up the runtime and then I try not to look what anything else is. Speaking of runtime and speaking of expectations, by the way, I saw The Raid 2. Which I might have liked more if it weren't a sequel to The Raid. Okay. Because The Raid trained me to expect, okay, The, the Raid is 100 minutes long, right? Okay. And about the first one. Yeah. Is 100, about 100 minutes long and about 90 of those minutes is just pure action. Damn right. Uh, and I still have my 
certain problems with the raid. It, I didn't, you know, it's not a 10 out of 10 for me. It's maybe mm-hmm. in, I don't know, 8.5 out of 10. Still a high, high ranking. But because the raid two is an hour longer. Whoa. Almost. It's like two and a half hours long. Uh, and doesn't have any more action. It's the the extra footage is more story and character stuff that's not particularly inspired or original. But I barely tolerated that in the first one. <laughs> but here's the thing. Being objective about the Raid 2, again, a lot of the plot points and characters are familiar. But unlike a lot of action movies that are, you know, action movies first and other and drama second, the acting is actually really good in the raid too. Okay. And so if it, if this had been a standalone script, which is apparently how it was, apparently the script for the raid two was written before the raid. He made the raid first because it was cheaper and he wanted to use the money to make the raid two. Awesome. Which is an, uh, and, uh, and so he sort of, you know, pushed it into being a sequel. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, if I had just seen this movie that turned out to be the Raid Two, I might be easier on it. I still wouldn't love it, yeah, because um, like I said, it is very sort of uh, familiar and unoriginal in a lot of its plotting. Uh, but I might not have been as hard on it because I didn't go in expecting what the Raid was. Yeah, uh, and again, I, okay, I still don't know if that's right or not. Yeah, and I mean that in a way, being aware of and having seen the the film that this is ostensibly a sequel to. Uh-huh. Uh, or at least is inviting comparison to by having the same, you know, same name. Um, and yeah, at least one, I mean, the same main character. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. All right. Yeah. So like it's inviting that comparison. It's, it's probably assuming that you've seen it. Uh, and so by having seen the film and knowing a little bit about it, when you see it, I think you're probably, there's an argument that you're more informed at that point than somebody who just went to see it. But at the same time, in this case, you're being more informed, made you enjoy it less. Uh-huh. But maybe that's correct. Right. Maybe you should enjoy it less. Yeah. Um, because you you are seeing one can make the argument that you were seeing the movie the way it wanted you to see it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think maybe that's maybe that that can be something of a of a control here. Uh, and I'm not saying that just because the Anton Corbin film. Um like that perhaps that can be our control is what does the film expect of us as opposed to what do we expect of the film? You know, I think, I think Anton Corbin to go back to the American, a film I still haven't seen. Um, like I think that that movie was made with the expectation that maybe that you don't know Anton Corbin, but that you may go into it with an open mind instead of maybe expecting it to be a George uh, Clooney movie or that you do, you do go into it with a, uh, with uh, knowledge of, of who Anton Corbin is and, and the type of movie that this is trying to be. Um, well, I guess to, to turn the page in this conversation to okay. a new, a new part of the topic, uh, even if there is a right or wrong way to go back to the voting thing. Oh, mm-hmm. let's put a pin in Cause I want to, I want to tell you off topic a bit, a bit why I don't, uh, entirely hate Bill Maher. Um, okay. Because... Well, I, I, uh, I hate him for reasons that don't have to do with that. Well, let me compare him to Bill O'Reilly. Uh, all right. Because um, I don't actually like either of them anymore. I don't, I don't like either of them. Right. But I think Bill Maher hosts a better show than Bill O'Reilly does. Because as much as Bill Maher can be a dismissive prick, mm-hmm. I feel like he lets the opposition talk. And when I have tried to watch Bill O'Reilly, he spends too much time 
Bill O'Reilly gets credit for inviting on people who disagree with him, and I do give him credit for that. Yeah. But he spends so much time shouting them down that he almost it's almost it doesn't matter yeah it bothers the hell out of me bill maher actually lets them talk then he'll be a dismissive prick afterwards and i don't like that so i can't i can't vouch for him 100 percent. but uh i think he's uh why i don't like his personality any more than i do bill o'reilly's i think he's better at hosting a tv show whoa hang on now (laughs) i don't know if i that's the thing he'll he will bring on the opposition with two other guests that he does agree with and a whole studio full like a, a studio audience that will cheer anytime he says one of his incredibly smug statements right. uh in that sense i think that is the equivalent of talking over your guest but you i still liter- think he, it's so intimidating he sets the table for a conversation where he lets them talk and he invites on people i think part of it i think he invites on people who just dis- not only disagree with him but also have the sort of uh, that he, he he respects their backbone or whatever for coming into an unwelcome environment. Yes. And I think he gives them credit for that. And uh, I think he sets uh, an environment where not only the two guests, but the audience, they know the idea of the show is we're going to let these people have a voice. And that's why I think Real Time is better than Bill O'Reilly's show. I, guess I, don't, watch, could... I don't watch Real Time anymore. I used to watch it a lot. But uh, I, everything I've seen of it, I, I, I hate. And uh, <laughs> don't get me wrong, I'm no, I'm no fan of Bill O'Reilly either. Um, certainly from an interview standpoint. Every once in a while, like, I've seen stuff where it's just kind of his, uh, for lack of a better term, what is it, like, um, they don't call it a monologue. Like the talking points memo, I think is what it's called. Um, and every once in a while, it's like, oh, he's making some actual pretty good fairly objective points that's nice and he's giving credit where credit is due that's nice the minute he starts talking to a person uh-huh. and god forbid that person disagrees with him it's like oh you lost me i'm i'm done so i stopped not that i ever really got into the o'reilly factor but i didn't that's uh, what it's called. I yeah but uh, just yeah that that bothers me a lot but yeah i'm no fan of uh, of bill maher either because i think the deck is i think he invites people on to a very stacked deck but whatever, it's fine. We we can move on. Sorry, but I, I guess I, what I'm saying is that there's he's kind of out maybe a little more out in the open about the fact that it's a stacked deck and almost oh no question he said it's a challenge. Whereas I feel like Bill O'Reilly comes on, he invites the opposition on with the uh, his intention is not to not saying to them show me what you got he's saying i'm going to show the audience how to put this person in his place yeah and and it's in that idea of like by by framing it as like what like the the no spin zone Uh he's basically saying like we will stop this person before they start spinning it's like you need to give them a moment to spin like (laughs) i'm not i'm not a fan of what they're doing but give them a moment and then unravel it that that would be much more effective yes uh, rhetorically anyway but to go so chris matthews However, whom I haven't watched in a million years, he is Bill O'Reilly and he's the worst of the bunch. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Um, I have no opinion on Chris Matthews cause I literally haven't watched him in nearly 15 years. The best thing to ever come out of him was Daryl Hammond's impression of him, <laughs> which I loved. Um, didn't he say, thank God for hurricane Sandy. Is that him? Was that him? Uh, uh maybe that sounds, oh, man. what an idiot. Yeah. He does say terrible things. Um, Okay. <laughs> Although there was that interview with Newt Gingrich where they agreed that elephant was the best animal. Yeah. Oh, that's the best. If you haven't. Okay. So stop writing angry emails to us for a second. We yeah. get a lot of angry emails. No question. And go look up this interview. Chris Matthews did an interview with Newt Gingrich mm-hmm. and they talked about whatever they were going to talk about. And at the end they set a bunch, they set aside some time for them to be 
zoo nerds together. Yeah. So they're both zoo nerds. Yeah. And Chris Matthews is asking Newt Gingrich about his favorite animals. They're like elephants. But he also says, what, what he says about snakes, like, what about a black mamba? Doesn't he say something like that? He goes, he goes, what about the reptile house? You like the reptile house? <laughs> and New, New King, just, he goes, he goes, oh, he goes, I'm fascinated by it. He goes, just, he goes, reptiles, they just, it's such a different way of living than, than like mammals. It's, it's such a different way of operating. He goes, he goes, you like snakes? You like the snake house? What about the black mamba? It was just like <laughs> something like that. I think he might've asked like, what kind of snake would you be or something uh-huh. like that? It was, it's, it is genuinely delightful. Awesome. I'm sorry. Moving on. Okay. Back to the movies. Uh, and I'll try and figure out what I was going to say. Okay. In the idea of someone going into the voting booth the wrong way, mm-hmm. uninformed, uh, that I feel like, because it's it's not art, it's, it's more concrete. You're saying, by you being uninformed, you are making decisions that could affect me. If enough uninformed people vote for an idiot, right. then we all suffer, right? Yeah. Whereas... With movies, even if, uh, even if we're right in the way that we watch The American or the mm. way that we watch uh, The Master, whatever, yeah. even if we're right, does it get us anywhere at all to expend energy talking about the people who are "quote unquote" wrong? Oh, you mean like just disparaging them, or just even worrying about it? I guess that's the that's the question. Why worry? It's a, it's a it's a good question, and certainly, yeah, the the voting thing is not necessarily a, a perfect analogy. But what I will say is, one man's idiot is another man's genius. Like mm-hmm. one person might say, foreign foreign policy experience is by far the most important thing. One could say economic experience is the most important thing. One could say that general relatability and the ability to rally the nation behind somebody that they feel like they they not merely like but they admire that that is the most important aspect of a leader so like any one of those people could say that the other people are less informed so and now of course i will say this that that i think you can speak object to a certain degree objectively and say such and such is a bad president such and such was a good president uh based on record and how they left the left the country when they were gone but um but that's the thing is is it's it it comes down to what a person values, and I recognize that values we're talking politically values has become something of a buzzword, but I just mean whatever a person deems important mm-hmm. uh, in whatever it is they're approaching. So like if somebody goes into a movie saying that the importance is escapism, just pure escapism, that is why they see movies, no matter what the movie. Uh-huh. And then they go see, oh, hell. Well, like the like the, the women I talked about who were behind me at the screening of Young Adult. Sure. Who were, right. for those who didn't know the story, there's a group of women who apparently came to see a raucous comedy. Yeah. And were going to treat it like a raucous comedy no matter how no matter sad what. or uncomfortable the movie got. Yeah. And you could make, like, they were wrong. I think they were wrong. Yeah, but if they legitimately had a good time, I don't know if they did or if they were forcing it. But if they legitimately, I venture to say they're forcing it. But I, I feel understand like they what you, were. Yeah. But what if they didn't see any of the sadness that I saw? They just saw, look at these like small town Midwestern losers uh, being being gross and losery, and had a good time. You well, know? I'm not a big fan of that approach. No, uh, neither am I. But, but yes, I, yeah. I, I. But I remember uh, Billy Bob Thornton talking about people. 
coming up to him and saying like, oh man, I love Sling Blade. It's hilarious. Yeah. Um, and there are parts of Sling Blade that are funny. No question. Um, a lot of them have to do with Vic Chestnut. Um, <laughs> do you remember Vic Chestnut? When I they're do. talking about this song and you're talking about the title of the song yeah. and how it's going to have, the title has the two parts, yeah. like the main part and then the part in parentheses, you know how they do. <laughs> uh, Vic Chestnut's so great. Rest in peace. Um, anyway, uh, where was I? Uh, what was I talking about? With, uh, Billy Bob young Thornton adult. hilarious. Uh, what's that? Billy Bob Thornton sling blade hilarious. Yeah. Um, the person enjoyed the movie. So yeah. is that, you know, uh, were they, were they wrong if they had a good experience? You know, people who, people who idolize Mickey and Mallory from natural born killers. Mm. That's <laughs> clearly the opposite of what Oliver Stone intended, right. which we'll get into director intention in a second. I want to put a pin in that cause I yeah. want to come back to that. Um, but if they had a good time with the movie, yeah. then can they be said to be wrong? Now, if they go out and start killing people, that's wrong. Sure, yeah. It doesn't mean they enjoyed the movie wrong. It just means that they're wrong. Yeah, I mean, it's... Well, I mean, you and I have talked about this. There are people that watch Wolf of Wall Street and say that is a film that endorses this behavior. And you and I are quick to say you don't get it. You know what I mean? Like, But that's a different... See, that's actually what we're talking about here. Because I don't think that the people who are saying that, I don't think they don't get it. I think they're being smug... And assuming other people won't get it. Right. That's yes. what's upsetting them. Who is it? Was it Mick LaSalle that you quoted? And yeah, which I love. It's like the best possible way yeah. to put to put that. Like how how can you I can't remember exactly what you said, but how can you think Jordan Belfort is an awful character and say the movie endorses him? You're not the only smart person. Yeah. That's the exact and that's exactly what we're talking about yeah. here. Man, that cuts right through it. I love yeah. it. Man. I like Mick LaSalle a lot. I don't often agree with him. Yeah. But man, I do I do like the way he writes. Yeah. He um, wrote a book, um, called complicated women about um like female actors uh, female movie stars pre-code oh it's really fascinating that sounds good yeah i have it i'll lend it to you if you want to read it uh real quick slight tangent i will say uh maybe one of my favorite jokes in the simpsons is one that we are talking about in which homer met mel brooks and he goes that movie of yours young frankenstein scared the hell out of me <laughs> <laughs> it's such, it's yeah. such a, a brilliant idea but that's you know we we laugh at that because yeah. we are taking filmmaker intention i do not want to get to that just yet no let's get into it okay um let's get into it again oh man how how into it are we gonna get in this episode <laughs> um you know the reason that joke is funny and you laughed hard at it and every anybody i tell that joke to as one of my favorite simpsons jokes uh-huh. they laugh because it is because hol- no one ever <laughs> at, like whoever whatever writer in the writer's room thought that thought up that joke should get some kind of award because that is literally <laughs> yeah. that's like coming up with a mathematical theory that nobody has come <laughs> up with because no one would ever come to that conclusion um, do you know what my favorite simpsons movie related joke is what's that it's the montage of Bart watching cable. And he says, this is where Jaws comes out of the water. And he says, this is where Die Hard jumps off the building. Yeah. And this is where Wall Street gets arrested. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sorry. Um, but yeah, like the reason that joke works so well, the reason it is so patently absurd is because we do take filmmaker intention mm-hmm. um, into account and if there's literally somebody who's not doing that mm-hmm. we view it as laughably wrong <laughs> you know what i mean and so 
there is like right now you and I are speaking I'm enjoying the conversation but I feel like this is a very academic and almost purely theoretical conversation uh, yeah bring it on uh, absolutely <laughs> I love it but what I but as as will always kill a theoretical discussion uh, from a practical standpoint <laughs> what what will this mean as far as implications sorry I, I got us off track from director intention but well but that's part of it is trying to figure out I mean you and I talk about it like what is the filmmaker trying to what are they trying to say? I might be wrong mm-hmm. in what I think they're trying to say, but the fact that I'm asking at all, I think is a good thing. But you're asking what they're trying to say, but you don't want them to tell you. No, I you want to learn from the movie. Yeah, that's you know to go back to television. Um, Vince Galligan has you know had not not held back at all talking about what he right. intended for Breaking Bad. Now, for the record, I believe it's Vince Gilligan. And Zach Galligan from, from Gremlins. Gremlins. Yeah. Yes. Um, you're right. Vince Gilligan. Um, anyway, uh, but another show like True Detective, maybe more so, a lot more so than True Detective, that disappointed people was Lost. Mm-hmm. And I think a big part of the reason people were disappointed is because, uh, and not because, I'm not going to blame um, Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse for doing podcasts and video podcasts every week and talking about and addressing theories and no. teasing things. And I'm not going to blame them for doing that. I'm going to blame people for taking those too seriously. Cause I, I watched those podcasts. I thought they were fun, mm-hmm. but I sort of, I, to the best of my ability, I left it at the door yeah. when the actual show was on. And I think, uh, now the final season of lost, I'm not going to stand here, stand up and say it's, on par with the best of the show. It does have its problems, but I was not disappointed in the ending of lost, uh, to the extent that other people were because I hadn't been investing in what Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse were telling me the whole time. Uh, and you know, if, if, uh, certain people want to say that the last episode of breaking bad was mostly, mostly took place inside Walter White's head. Mm hmm. Uh, Vince Gogan, he can spend all the live long day shouting from the mountaintops that that's not what happened. But if someone believes that's what happened, then that, yeah. and if that helps them enjoy it, then there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, the movie equivalent, oh, real quick, sorry. Okay. Um, I don't, I, I, I know people who are angry that Ridley Scott came out and said that, uh, Deckard is a replicant. Yeah. Blade Runner. I'm not angry that he said it, but I don't put any stock in it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, He's a replicant. If I decide he's a replicant, you know, I don't care what you think. If you wanted it to be that clear, you should have said it clearly in the movie. Yeah. Like there should have been a line. Like if you really wanted it to, you know, be crystal clear, there should have been a scene there at the end where Deckard's like, son of a bitch, I'm a replicant (laughs) or something like that. Um, yeah, that's and you know what I think. Okay, so to go back to your your um, true detective thing, and then like the the lost thing, and the idea that you watch True Detective and just kind of kind of just went wherever they wanted you to go. And I I enjoy. I think the the touches of um, illusion and 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 conspiracy and depth were definitely they were. Uh, integral they yeah. they needed to be there but that i didn't decide that's what the show was about I, I still felt the show was mostly about this one murder they're investigating 
and it's about the characters, the two men investigating it. All right. That's what I took it to be about. And here's, I'm, I'm glad you brought up Lost because I think this is, a, I think, I think uh, I'm heading down a, a, a path that is to me very exciting, which is there's a difference between open-mindedness and disengagement. And this idea that like people, some people chose to engage with True Detective in a very conspiratorial, let's figure it out mm-hmm. kind of way. You chose to engage with it in, I won't say a superficial way, but a kind of a, a procedural character driven way. Mm-hmm. In both cases, you're engaging with the material as yeah. the, as the, the creators wanted you to do whether they, whether you're engaging the way they specifically wanted you to or not, you're still investing yourself in some way in this, uh, same with lost. I mean, you and I, uh, approached lost from, from different angles and we both, and, and it's worth noting that both of us were okay with that ending. Like, uh-huh. we both, but like, uh, and we came away from it from the, the show in general, liking different things, but still liking the show, uh, as a whole. Um, and that's because we had chosen, well, maybe it wasn't so much of a choice, but we had made the decision perhaps years ago, uh, when we were teenagers to engage with art to the level, to the extent that it can be engaged with. Mm-hmm. Now, if there's somebody, I think the right way, I think, okay. I think the right way to approach art is to be engaged in some way. Um, you might come away with a bad interpretation, uh, not not bad. Sorry, just a, a an unusual interpretation. Um, this is well, we're we're getting into one of the reasons that I love Room Two Thirty Seven so much. Like, you know, like it's, but like as long as you're as long as you're willing to always somewhat actively. I keep using the word engage. It's the only one I can think of engage with the art. I think you're always looking at it. Right. I think there is, as long as you're engaged, there is no wrong way. Mm. If you are not engaged, if you simply expect the film to be whatever the hell you want it to be, not that it could not that, Oh, it could be this thing and nobody else thinks it, but I do. That's different than I want it to be me. I want this film to be, the thing I like, even if nothing about it indicates it is that. <laughs> right. All right. I, I've told this story before. I'll tell it again. What the hell? 365. Um, yeah. <laughs> hashtag. A year of BP. A year of BP. Thank you. Um, when I worked at Video Update, RIP, uh, or I worked at a video store, RIP, um, <laughs> years ago, I was working there when the movie Traffic came out. Uh-huh. All right. I had somebody come in. Uh, I believe it was somebody that I knew a little bit, uh, a, a fellow uh, fellow high schooler. Um, he uh, he returned traffic. I said, "Oh, what'd you think?" Because I loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, and he goes, "Oh, that movie sucked." I was like, "All right, uh, what what sucked about it?" And he goes, "He's like, well, I thought it was like a like a car movie or something. I thought it was going to be like <laughs> like." Uh, uh, gone in 60 seconds or something like that. I was like, Oh, because it was called traffic. He goes, yeah. I was like, all right, that's not really 
the film's fault that you thought it was this other thing. You know, like that is somebody I would venture to say who is approaching, who is watching the movie wrong. Uh I'm sorry. Would you like a copy of driven? Apparently that's a 10 times better movie than traffic. (laughs) You know, not that, not that I think traffic is a flawless film by any stretch, but like, come on like that. Like, I think that is, did you ever see driven by the way? No, I know you watched it. I saw it in the theater. <laughs> I didn't know that. Oh, I always get it. That's right. I always get it mixed up with torque, which is a different oh, type but of tor- movie. torque. I stand by. I know you do driven. No, thank you though. No, it's a Rennie Harlan film. So it's on par with die hard two is a pretty good movie. I disagree. I'm not really? a fan of die hard. 2. Oh man. Pretty good is about as far as I would go, actually. Um, I remember both Siskel and Ebert at the time uh, just loved it. I think it was on one of their, I think it was on Siskel's top 10. Uh, yeah, I'm not a big fan. And Ebert of that. certainly liked it more than the first one, strangely enough. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, but uh, so I think, I think, and mine doesn't have to be the final word, I'll throw to you. Like, I think for my, for myself, and the fact that I'm saying for myself might prove your point. Um, yeah. But, and then I'll have my I'll have my own for myself after this. There you go. Uh, I think for myself, the, to just reiterate, the right way to watch a movie is to actively watch it and to just be engaged, whether it be your feelings or your intellect, whatever. Just and you know what? I'll I'll add to that because I also uh, and again we're putting I think putting quotes on the way right yeah, wrong yeah. word right right way here because if someone doesn't do that, what I mean is a, best. Obviously. And maybe that, yeah, I mean, you're joking, but maybe that's true. Um, to go back to the idea of uh, uh, the true detective theories and, and lost uh, theories and stuff, um, this will go all the way back to the idea of uh, nailing Jello to a wall. All right. What you're doing there is you're assuming that this work of art is sort of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It it has it, what's the opposite of infinite it's finite i guess it's fine, sure is the, it's finitely knowable yeah uh and the fact that it's art means it's not that to mm, me okay. so if you're sitting there trying to pin down trying to crack the code on a thing where like it's a rubik's cube, rubik's cube where you yeah. get to the end and everything fits into place um that's uh i think you know more power to you if you enjoy doing that for me from my own personal, uh, my, you know, from my point of view, that's not the most helpful way to enjoy a movie or a TV show, and it's going to end in tears more often than than not. I mean, occasionally you get a Vince Gilligan who really does apparently try to make a show that satisfies those people, um, and I, I don't know that it entirely Man, that, does. That makes me mad. I mean, like what I was, ne- I was never as huge a fan of Breaking Bad as everybody else, but it just bothers me that he felt the need to to put that out there uh, to say right. no, no it's I'm, not that. I'm saying like, even apart from his comments on it. Oh, you just mean the uh, the last? I episode. just mean the last episode of Breaking Bad. It puts a bow on as many things as it can. No uh, question about it. <laughs> and you know what? I like it. It works in that case, um, but that's or it works for me in that case you know you have some problems i know some of the people have some problems about it being a little too neat um but i think it was in keeping with the show that had been on for five exactly years. uh <laughs> i agree with you 100 <laughs> percent. all right uh anyway i guess that's that's my that's my truth i talked about my coworker's truth that it's yeah. a george clooney movie and that it's stupid yeah that's her truth my truth is that uh trying to um 
figure out a movie as if it is finitely knowable is, uh, I'll use the phrase again, the losing game. And you know, it's a moment ago I joked that active engagement with a piece of art is the best way to watch it. At the time I was joking, I'm not anymore. (laughs) Uh, And by best, what I will say is it is entirely possible that you can watch a, watch a movie or, or read a book or whatever passively. And like you said, I don't know if that's even possible, but maybe, uh, for argument's sake, let's say it is. Um, I, I cannot imagine that piece of art being as satisfying or as stimulating Mm -hmm. as if you were watching it actively and engaging and, and investing yourself in it. And thus right or wrong is not the question. It's what is the, the best or most satisfying way to watch something. So, yeah, I think, I think, uh, and I, you could, and so I guess most satisfying, you could say right in that sense, but I still feel like maybe that's the, but there are also, there are always going to be some people who find that more frustrating than a superficial, uh, reading of a, uh, of, of a work of art. And so maybe it won't be more satisfying to them. Right. And it's, yeah. And that's you know, the, these are the people who hate the end of no country for old men. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that, and that's where, that's where personal preference comes down for me. Cause part of me is like, yeah, if you, I guess you can live like that. If you call that living, <laughs> you know, um, that's where, that's where the genuine, uh, elitism that's, that's the thing. As I've, as I think I've said on the show before, I constantly worry that my tastes, I'd say my tastes run a little bit more mainstream than yours and maybe even more mainstream than a lot of like the, the critics that we know. Okay. I think that, and like that might be true, but I've basically lost my perspective on what is, what is mainstream and what is not. Yeah. The fact that like there are movies that to me, I could not be less interested in and that they are the number one movie by a wide margin. (laughs) And I was just like, okay, uh, apparently it's like, I thought I was some kind of a populist mainstreamer. Uh, apparently I'm a, a, an elitist snob right? Yeah. for not dweller. Yeah. Not having any interest at all in uh, 300 rise of the empire. (laughs) I personally do have some interest in seeing it. I do have a thing that I think it's going to be good. I have morbid curiosity. Yes. But I am interested to see it. Yeah. Not enough to actually see it. Of course. All right. That's it, right? I think so. Okay. Uh, thank you for listening. You can find us at battleshippretension.com. That's where you can find uh, all our movie reviews and links to all the podcasts and the BP fleet. Uh, you can e- you can email me, uh, david at battleshippretension.com. Tell me why you like Bill Maher. And you can email uh, Tyler at tyler at battleshippretension.com. Tell him why you like Bill O'Reilly. No, don't do that. <laughs> you can... Uh, find me on Twitter at the pretension hashtag a year of PP. Uh, you can find uh, Tyler on Twitter at more lessons. That's the official Twitter of his other podcast, more than one lesson, which is also in more than one lesson.com. You got something to say there? Yes. Uh, the latest episode. So uh, Josh and I have been going through the best pictures. And so the latest episode 
is, or sorry, our mini-sode, but it, it's episode length. It's like 55 minutes, is uh, a discussion of Steve McQueen's 12 Years a Slave, the recent addition to the uh, best picture. Canon. Canon. Thank you. Um, I was going to say lineup. Somehow it didn't sound good enough. <laughs> um, but uh, there, there are people that have wondered what I, quote unquote, have against the movie. Um, what's your problem? Yeah. Um, and uh, it, we spend about 55 minutes awesome. explaining it. So if you want to know, you can go over to morethanonelesson.com. Um, and my weekly podcast is called Hey, Watch This with Paul and David. It's about TV. This week, we'll be talking about ABC's Resurrection, which is not a remake of the French series The Returned or Les Revenants. It is based on a novel called The Returned. That is about oh, essentially the same premise, but it is not the same thing. And in fact, A&E is apparently producing an American remake of The Returned. So it is convoluted. But people are super into dead people coming back to life, but not being zombies. It's apparently a big trend right now. All right. Um, we'll be talking about the resurrection. We'll also be talking about the se- season two premiere of HBO's Vice, the uh, controversial, controversial news magazine program. That's right. So I forgot about that completely. I didn't see it. Yeah. I watched the first episode of the first season uh, and I found it really interesting. Okay. Um, I did not stick with it though. Maybe I'll stick with it this season. All right. Uh, that's it. Uh, thank you for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 